You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Isn't Jesus awesome? I mean, nothing. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus. Uh, that song just floors me. I mean, it's our righteousness as Christians is not our own. It's all accredited to Jesus. It just amazes me about his grace and the love that he has towards us. And so um, I, I just, I just thanks, Jared, for leading us in worship. I'm, I'm blessed by him and blessed uh, to be here with you guys tonight. I am so stoked to be with you guys tonight on what is going to be our last night meeting Sunday nights here in this theater because starting next week, yeah, that's, that's exciting, uh, starting next week, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., Showbreak is going to, we're going to be gathering in here, worshiping Jesus, still studying God's word, still going to be Showbreak Church. Um, and so as, as, as far as the changes that are coming, what we're calling it is a relaunch. Um, we are just really excited about the things that Jesus has put on our heart to see not our own agenda, but Jesus' agenda for Kona. There are plenty of Christians, there are plenty of even churches, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying any specifically uh, to, that comes to mind, but that have their own agenda. What can we do? How can we push our thing? But you know what our thing is? It's Jesus. Like, that's all we got. Like, if, if, if I don't have this book, then nothing's happening. Like, if we, like there, there's no sermon to be preached because this is it. It's the Word of God, and it's Jesus, and our vision is to amplify Him. And so starting next week, we believe that um, we're going to be able to reach more people. More people are going to hear about the good news about Jesus because Sunday nights at 6 p.m., you know, we're kind of getting hungry. Everyone's, kids are crazy. So some of the, I feel, pray for those teachers that are in, in the cake, shortbread cakey right now because, um, you know, I'm just speaking of my own kids, not about your kids, of course. My own kids are wild at 6. It's like, Anyways, well, aloha to you if you're new. My name is Travis, and, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Shorebreak. And um, some of you might have some questions uh, as far as what, how does all this transition play out? Like, what does it practically look like? Um, well, for one, the leadership of Shorebreak is going to stay intact as we move to Sunday mornings. And, and what that really means is that, w- you know, we here at Shorebreak, are just, we're just moving our time. Sunday's at 10 a.m. So that, that's, 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 that's super exciting. That's really not a lot of change for you guys. But the, the big change is Pastor John, um, Pastor John Miller of Calvary Chapel, Kona Coast, is, is, is really just saying, hey, you know what? God has his hand on this church shore break, and he's doing a great thing. Um, I, I'm passing on the baton. Um, he, here you guys go. Here is the building. Here is you guys take the leadership. Uh, here is the, the facility, and here are the people. So starting next Sunday, not only is it going to be us in here, but we're going to have Calvary Chapel, Kona Coast, merging into Shorebreak. And really, it's like getting married, right? Uh, two, two becoming one. That's always fun because there are the awkward moments. You're like, you did what with your family? I would never do that. Uh-uh. And so there could be some of that. There could be some of that, you know, thing. I, I don't think so. I really am praying that God would unify us quickly and I'm really excited, and, and as the looks of it, it's going to be pretty tight in here. It's going to be, it's going to be, um, it's going to be, it's going to be full, and um, it's going to be a great place for us to be inviting people. So um, that is what's happening as far as the changes. Pastor John is going to be 
um, a, a lay person in the church, as, as, as he calls it, and serving alongside all of us who are serving for Jesus. Because this thing, is, it's not shore break. It's not, it's not Calvary Kona Coast. It's, it's Jesus. And I don't want like this shore break verse Calvary Kona thing. Oh, this is how we did it. Listen, we're all going to die to ourselves in this thing. The core message of the gospel is not what we get out of it, but what we give to Jesus because he gave everything for us. So that's what we do um, in this transition. And, and, and I expect the best from you guys. I expect for us to love one another and to care for each other. So maybe you're thinking, well, okay, so what do I, what, what can I, what role is mine in this? How can I be part of what Jesus is doing? And, and there's four things. This is not the teaching. These are just four things up front that I want to encourage you guys with. And the first thing is, as far as what you can do in this merge, is love. Love, 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 love Jesus with all of your heart. Every ounce of it, give it to him. Love him with all of it, all right? I, I want us to be passionate, white, hot for Jesus. Loving him, serving him, worshiping him, looking forward to hear from him. And, and I believe, that, I mean, the, the moment we do that, the moment Christ is the center of the church and of our lives and of our family, everything else takes care of itself. We get the vertical figured out, the horizontal works itself out. So love Jesus. And in doing so, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's love Calvary Kona Coast. Let's love the people who are outside this, these walls and who need to come and meet Jesus. And let's be inviting them. And so that's the first thing you can do is love. Second thing you can do is pray. Please be praying for me. Be praying for the leadership. Um, we have a, a lot of decisions and technicalities that are still working themselves out. So if you, if I, if I could know that, that you guys are praying, that would be such a huge blessing. So um, that this thing doesn't get to our heads or, or, or we don't just treat this thing flippantly, but that we are in the center of what God wants us to be doing. Um, the result of where we're at now Believe it or not, um, and I don't know what impressions you have at now, but um, you know, six months ago we were in my living room, and my, my place is small. My my living room is about ten feet by ten feet. Those of you guys who've been in my living room, you know this this is a blessing to be in here. And we outgrew our living room real quick. And but all of this is the result of God's people praying. All of it is. It's not the select few who took a step of faith to go do this thing. It's, this is all the result of people praying. And so that's why I would say. Like, kick, if you've been praying before, kick it up a notch. Kick it into high gear and just be talking to Jesus and bathing this whole thing in prayer. The next thing you could do is give. Um, support financially. God puts it on your heart. Um, we're increasing. Shorebreak is increasing our finances by, f- our, 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 our income, not our income, but our expenses are increasing by 500%. Now, some of you business people in here are like, yeah, that's, in the business world, that's suicide, <laughs> It is suicide. Uh, what we call it in church or in Christianity, is, it's faith, right? Um, now, what we're not saying is, oh, we're being stupid about this. We, we, we're, we have a blind eye towards it. We're just going to pretend like it's not there, get some credit cards, let everything take. No, 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 no. Um, we are not the government, okay? Now, I'm not saying Democrat or Republican. We, we just aren't the government. Um, and so it's not our money. It's, it's God's money. And so we want to, to really manage it and store it well. And so if God's putting on your heart for, to, to support the gospel, even above your, your, your tithe, you, you go ahead and do so. If you're just checking this out, if you're not a Christian, 
uh, do not do that. We all support the gospel so you can hear the good news of Jesus. Lastly, serve. Find ways to serve. Um, on your way out tonight at the end of the service, if you um, haven't filled a Connect card out, grab a Connect card. On the back, there's just some information. We're not going to like spam you. I'm not going to come knocking on your door at the middle of the night and be like, what movie did you just watch? It's nothing It's nothing like that at all, I promise. Uh, really, we just, like, I'm interested in joining a community group. Oh, cool. Well, what's that about? Well, I don't know. I'm new to Showbreak, so I'd like more information. We just got a bunch of simple, uh, simple, could be sinful, I don't know, depending on how you, uh, simple information uh, for you guys to fill out here. And if you need prayer for anything, you can fill this out too. And you're thinking, okay, well, I want to serve, but I don't know. If you have a family, you want to grab, take these home. You guys talk about it, pray about it as a family. You can serve once a month, twice a month. You can serve every week. Whatever God is calling you to do, we want you to have an outlet to serve. Um, so uh, serve also, serve our community. Um, we just got business cards that you guys can grab on the way out. We got new business cards. They actually have the correct time on there. So it's uh, Sundays at 10 a.m. So we have like 2,000 of these. So go, we don't charge for business cards. Go grab these and just go crazy. Bring them. I mean, people, because you tell people like, oh, what's the place? What's the time? Uh, just throw out one of these. You know, uh, if you're leaving a tip, leave a good tip and throw this in there and um, at, the, at a restaurant or whatever. And be inviting people. Be inviting people. People are going to come to church when Jesus draws them. Jesus does it, but he chooses to use us as instruments to be a part of that. And so um, let that be our charge. And I truly believe that this, uh, this merge that, that really is for his glory, I believe that if, if we are really seeking his face and worshiping him and asking him to do a big thing, I, I think this is something that Kona may never, ever recover from. I think it just ruined Kona forever for his glory. Not with my agenda, not with your agenda, but with Jesus' agenda. To go into all the world, to make disciples. So, with that said, if you guys can turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 9 is where we are going to be. We absolutely love God's word here. And so we are just systematically, week in, week out, um, having these sessions of studying the Gospel of John. And we've called our message tonight, if you're taking notes, Blinded for Glory. Blinded for glory. It's going to be one of those messages that after everything I just talked about, um, really, at first doesn't seem like it fit the exciting part of a celebration because we're going to spend some time talking about suffering. So what does suffering have to do with excitement and with glory and with Jesus building his church? And we'll we'll unpack that in a little bit, but it really, in the end, does all tie together. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the workers of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming, 
when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Pretty graphic. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. God, thank you for this time that we have on this Sunday night to study your word. And as we've opened up our Bibles, I pray that we would open up our heart to receive the truths that you want to speak to us. You want to show us your son, Jesus. And so I pray that, God, that as we open up your scriptures, Jesus, we would see you clearly. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you do a work in our lives that only you could do so that we could be sanctified, set apart, holy people, shining brightly the goodness of who you are? We dedicate our lives to you. We dedicate our church to you. We dedicate everything to you, God. We want you to be preeminent in all, above all, and through all. We want to be changed so that you would be glorified and so that more people would meet you. So as we talk about suffering, as we talk about pain, as we look at this story unfolding with this blind man, I pray that you would open up the hearts of the blind. And that for those of us who can see, help us to see you more clearly and to set our sights on things above and not on the things of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So imagine you were blind from birth. You can't see You've never seen light, you've never seen color, you've never seen the ocean, you've never even seen your own parents' face. Being raised up as a kid, it was difficult because all your friends would go outside to play and, and you would go outside and sit in the dust and everyone else would be playing and you would hear them playing but you couldn't play with them because you couldn't see. And as you're doing that, and as you're playing, and as, or as they're playing, you hear them talking smack on you because you couldn't play with them. And even the simple things of taking a bath, changing your clothes, even just eating food, trying to find your plate, and put, uh, put the fork down or grab that piece of meat and put it in your mouth, that, that was a challenge. That wasn't easy to do. And as you would grow older and grow up and you required more food and more clothes and all this your parents couldn't afford to take care of you so because they couldn't afford to take care of you you were sent out on the street and you would sit out on the street 
that was of dust, and you would never see people's faces. You could hear them, but you could never see them. You didn't know if at one moment you'd get robbed or the next moment people would give you money because you couldn't work. So as you're sitting there on the dust, imagine you just hear people walking by and, and just talking bad about you and saying, what kind of sin did you do to deserve that? What a perverted man are you because you, you were blind. Or maybe it wasn't your own sin, but maybe it was the sin of, 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 of your parents and they would just talk. And you, it's like, I'm here. Like, I know I can't see, but I can hear you. But they would still talk bad about you nonetheless, treating you as though you were the scum of the earth because you had this disability. And you would hold out your hands for money and you would say, have mercy on the poor and on the blind. Have mercy, 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 mercy. And people, if they dropped enough food in, or money in your hand, you'd be able to maybe get some food for the day. If you were, had a blessed day, maybe two meals, if you were lucky. Before this man met Jesus, here in John chapter 9, this was his difficult life story. We don't know how old he is, but he has definitely lived with this his entire life. Isn't that difficult? I mean, can, can, you, can you imagine the, the difficulty? And verse 18 tells us uh, that his parents couldn't afford him. Verse 8 we just read, people knew him as a beggar. Like, oh yeah, people would walk by and verse 8, yep, that, that, that guy's the beggar, there he is. We, we, we know him. And, and verse 1 says that he is, John reveals to us, it's been this way since birth. And what happens in verse 1? What do we immediately see launching into the story in verse 1? Speaking of Jesus, as he passed by, what did he do? He saw a man blind from birth. Jesus saw this blind man. And I love that John, an eyewitness to the account, decides to write that down for us. John's like, yeah, I, I was there. And I looked at the blind man. And I looked at Jesus. And looking at Jesus, Jesus was looking at this blind man. And the blind man didn't even know it. Jesus already had compassion. And I'm sure John could look into the eyes of Jesus that maybe welled up with tears that were broken, that had compassion towards this man. And I love that we launch into this story seeing Jesus seeing this man in blindness. And what did Jesus not do? You know, like what we often do, you know, when you're walking down a lee and maybe you see that one person, you're like, I'm going to cross the street now, okay? On the other side, so I don't have to. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went right up to this man. He didn't pull out his phone walking by and like, all of a sudden I have a text message that I, uh, I, or I have to send a text message or I need to check my Instagram. I mean, I need to do some things to get my attention away because I don't want to have this awkward encounter with this person, right? No, Jesus didn't even start up a random conversation. Have you guys ever done that? You're walking by someone you don't want to talk to and you'll just bring up, hey, so your puppy that you got never got last week was something about the puppy. Yeah, well, so tell me, did you ever have a puppy? Um, you know, and you're just like, what are you talking about? Like, and you just do anything that you can to avoid a conversation. That's not Jesus. He goes right up to this man, not attempting to avoid an awkward conversation. But while Jesus is walking up to him, what do his disciples say? The super sensitive, the altogether sweet, loving, what did the, what did the disciples say? What did they say? 
Like, why can't he see Jesus, huh? Well, what's this guy's problem? Is it his parents' sin, or did he sin? I mean, I mean is this guy perverted? I mean, that's what he says, and, 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 and those of the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned that, that this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You think, wow, like, disciples, like, you should go write Hallmark cards, right? You know, like Mr. Deeds. I mean, this is just, this is, this is bad. This is very, 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 very bad, Jesus. Like, disciples. Like, and Jesus, I mean, who, what is going through Jesus' mind? I can't believe my followers right now. I just can't, you know? Of course, Jesus is being patient with them. And he will answer their question. But what would ever cause this question to be asked like this? It's important to know that this was the typical explanation priests would give in the synagogue for people who had disabilities, especially blindness. So you think, man, oh, like. So now imagine again you're this blind guy and you're sitting out in the street and people are coming out of synagogue and they're walking by you and saying, oh, hey, guess what? Pre- yeah, the priest told me why, why, you're, why you're blind. You want to know why you're blind? Because you're a pervert sinner. You're wicked. And you would say, well, no, I, I didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, well, actually, your parents did something, so you deserve that sin. Like, does that help anybody? Like, priests, really, are you, is, is, is that in God's word? Oh, they, they never taught God's word. They just shared commentary on God's word. They never taught God's word. So they would go up to these people and say, yeah, hey, my, my priest told me that, that you or your parents sin, and like, that helps no one, does it? All that helped was the people who could see become more boastful and prideful in their own righteousness. That's all it did. It, di- it didn't help anyone. And oftentimes, in the midst of suffering, people say the most horrendous, difficult things. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that. You've gone through a hard time, and things have come your way, and then they just say that thing, and they're trying to help or give you the answer, but really, they just need you to be there. They just need to be there for them. This guy wasn't looking for the answer at this point. He knew it was bad nonetheless. And he wondered it, but the last thing he needed was a bunch of religious people who could see to come up to him and say, oh yeah, you got, you got problems. And let me just say this. If you are in suffering, do not let the hyper-spiritual person tell you that the suffering you are currently going through is reflective of a direct sin that you did. And Jesus is going to draw that line. I'm not making this up. It's just from the text. It's from, it's from the, the Bible. We're going to read in a minute. Jesus is going to draw this line. and said, you, you can't do that in this circumstance. And don't let anyone do that to you. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you did that. Yeah, yeah, you went through that thing because you did that. Now, maybe there are times and there are occasions when that is true, but not always. Don't label it. Or don't be that super hyper-spiritual Christian that looks and says, oh, Oh, we got, we got we got to be godly. We got to label this. We got to find a thing. We got to get this book. Oh, I got this book for you. And, I, and once we get this book, then we'll sit down and we'll write down all the things that you have to do to to get through your suffering because it's you're clearly. You, and for the person that just lost their child, or for the person that lost a loved one, and they just went through a job, and they don't know why it happened, they don't need answers. They don't want a label or an explanation. And oftentimes we think in ourselves, and I've done this too, maybe, maybe you guys have done that too. I, you know, it's like, what have I done to, to deserve this suffering? You guys ever think that? What have, what have I de- de- done to deserve this? And you know what? It's subtle. 
and we slap Christianese on it and saying, oh, we reap what we sow and all those things. And that's true. And we're going to unpack that later. But oftentimes, we treat the Christian life as though it's a life of karma. Well, if I'm good, good things are going to happen to me. If I'm bad, bad things are going to happen to me. Oh, and I thought I was good, but a bad thing happened to me, so it must be bad. And, and that's the game we play in our mind. And you know, that's it's karma. And we cover it with Christianese, but really, it's, it's wicked. That's not what... The Bible always points to, and, and we're notorious for doing this. And you know, what did the disciples want to know? Why? Why? Why, why is this guy? Or, or even deeper into the question, what kind of punishment did he get? Is it from? The disciples aren't even like, so this guy's blind. What, what happened? They want to know who's, they're, they're labeling it. Is, it. is it the parent's sin or is it is his sin? What, what is it, one or the other, Jesus? You, you tell us. And, and Jesus will answer, but it's not how they would have expected it because in this story, at least, in, in some of you, the suffering you've gone through, you, you can't tie suffering together all the time or hardship with sin. And sin does cause suffering, but our suffering doesn't always correlate with it. You, you, I want to c- clear that out of the room now. How can we say that, though? How can we confidently say that? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 3? It was not that this man sinned or his parents. Simple right there. It's not, it's, this man is not blind because of his own sin or, or his parents' sin. They wanted to know, the disciples wanted to know what caused it. And Jesus is going to bypass that and tell them why he allowed it. Forget the cause. Why did, why did Jesus allow this? Why did he allow this, 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 this guy who is suffering from bl- blindness? Verse 3, the second half, what does Jesus say? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now for some of us, and even when I first read this, really God? You, you, you allowed this so that your glory would be revealed? Like, don't you have a better explanation than that, Jesus? I mean, Jesus, you, you said some creative things. You said some off-the-wall things that threw the religious people into a spin. One of them uh, healing this blind man on the Sabbath. It's like, Jesus, really, you had to heal him on the Sabbath. Couldn't you just done it any other day? Why are you jumping headfirst into controversy? God purposed this man's suffering for God's glory. And God will purpose suffering in your life for God's glory. I don't get it. I don't think we could ever totally understand it or get it. But if you, if you, if you build your life on that, things begin to shift and begin to settle because people say, oh, well, it's just a random, what, what if some, and I've literally heard some pastors teach on this. Oh, the man just happened to have some blindness, and Jesus came along and took care of the problem. That's not what's being said here. Th- that, that's not, when, when we look deep into the text, Jesus doesn't provide an explanation of, well, yeah, it was just a thing. I mean, Jesus goes directly, and he says, you know what? But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Listen, a life suffering with Jesus is better than a perfect life without him. 
whether it be blindness physically, <laughs> blindness spiritually, a mental disorder, an eating problem, a addiction, ultimately sin. Jesus is bigger than it. And we will all suffer. This is, you guys, we all are going to suffer. But suffering and glory are inseparable. Okay? I want you guys to get that. Before we go any further, get this. Glory and suffering, you can't draw a line between the two. They are inseparable. They are one and the same. When you go throughout the Bible, you will read glory and suffering in the same thought and in the same sentence breathed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, this book is about the glory of God and the suffering of the Son of God named Jesus who came to give us life. This whole book is about glory and suffering. And you, you can't separate them. You, you can't do it. And, I, and I've tried to do it. And even in this study, it's been, it's been helpful because it's really, for me, it grounded my theology on suffering. Because like love and marriage, you don't get lo- lo- you're one without the other. You, you can't separate them. They are one and the same. Because there is no glory in your life without suffering in your life. You want to see glory come through your life? It will not happen without suffering. And, and I want to let Jesus and this book transform your mind and help you develop a solid theology, fancy word for the study of God and who he is and his character. We need to have a healthy theology, a good understanding, and to have our minds renewed and transformed on suffering and glory. Because truth be told, often we want glory, but we do not want suffering. Isn't that true? We pursue glory and we try to sedate suffering. I don't want to suffer as least as possible, but I want to get as much glory as I can. Sometimes it's even, God, for this church plant, to be honest with you, I was thinking, how can we get God as much glory without going through hard times? (laughs) No, did not happen, right? It doesn't work that way. And here's some verses to write these down because here, Let's write this down for developing healthy theology on suffering. Because, guys, the Bible will not let you separate the two, okay? The Bible won't let you separate the two. So, first verse, Romans 8, 18. And these are just a few. Romans 8, 18. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the what? The glory that will be revealed to us. I consider that our our present sufferings, the things that we're going through right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Yes, there's glory, but there's suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Isn't it amazing? For this light, Paul, I mean, Paul, the, the, Paul wrote this, getting stoned, getting shipwrecked, getting bit by crazy life. So, oh yeah, this, this light momentary affliction, I mean, if we get, imagine getting a fender bender, getting bit by a, you know, a centipede, or stung by a centipede, and losing your car, and losing your job, all in the same week. Paul's like, yeah, that's, that's light momentary affliction for me. No, no big deal is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory 
beyond, you can't, beyond all comparison. You, you can't compare this eternal weight of glory that we are going to see with any suffering that we're going through right now in this moment. As bad as it is, this is the worst it gets for the Christian. And not the Christian. This is as good as it gets. And that is devastating. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will reveal himself and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, there are more verses throughout the Bible. I would encourage you to do your own, but you guys, you, we, I cannot, you cannot separate glory and fruit from suffering and hardship. Don't do that to yourself. You will suffer. I will suffer. In fact, many of you in here tonight have suffered deeply from the things that have happened to you or the things that are happening to you currently. All of us suffer, Christian and non-Christian, but here's the difference. The Christian suffers with purpose. For the Christian, you suffer with a purpose. That's what Jesus is saying here to this blind man. We endure momentary pain for eternal glory. This is just a moment. This, this, this momentary pain is going to go away if we're lucky, maybe 90 years, and then we're gone, and we're in the glory of God for all eternity. But this momentary pain, we endure for eternal glory. Because suffering prepares us and points us towards heaven. Suffering reminds us that this is not heaven, that this is not where God intended us to stay, but ultimately to be in the presence with him forever. Suffering for the Christian and for the non-Christian is all meant to prepare and point us to heaven. That's what Jesus is even saying for this guy's life. Guys, it's not this man's sin or his parents, but the works of God that might be, that would, that might be displayed in him. Jesus is like, I purposed that he would be blind so that I could show him my glory and my goodness and that I would ultimately be praised. So I hope you guys see how much bigger God is in our suffering, how he is truly outside of it and how he uses it for his purposes. And so let scripture change your thoughts. And we need that. We need that recalibration because culture does everything it can to get itself glory. The culture we live in is, is the opposite of what we've just studied and looked at. Culture's like, no, no, you, you get to glory as quickly as you can with as least suffering as possible, right? I mean, why in the world are there microwavable instructions on Pop-Tarts? I'm serious, right? Like, you put them in the toaster, and in a minute, what, they're, they're like, they're dark? It's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you don't... Just throw them in the microwave. Forget the toaster. Throw them in the microwave and for eight seconds your Pop-Tart will be done because who wants to suffer the other 48 seconds or 52 seconds that your Pop-Tart could potentially be there cooking in the toaster? It's like, for real? I mean, in culture, it, it just, you, we, we always try to get to glory without suffering. You know, we go get that car loan because, you know, it has the ice chest 
and we want the ice chest. It's like, I'd really like to have the ice chest in my car, so if we can get the car loan, then I can get the ice chest that I want. And, and, and oftentimes, I'm not saying car loans are necessarily sinful. I'm not saying that, but we would rather not suffer in saving up money for that car and rather just get the eternal gratification of having the ice chest so we can drive to the beach with our drinks cold. Right? Isn't that what we do? It's what, it's what I do often. We throw our virginity away before marriage because we want an instant of self-glory and pleasure and we aren't willing to suffer and to say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to endure hardship. For those of you guys who've gone through engagement or you're single now, it's like, yeah, it's, it's enduring. Yeah, that's suffering. Uh, Oftentimes, we aren't willing to endure and suffer because we want the eternal glory and pleasure. In fact, I, I, I've heard pastors, I've, I've been part of a church where the pastor talked about God's blessing but never talked about God's sovereignty in suffering. And, I, and I, I, I'm not even kidding. I heard uh, this pastor and his wife, they were both teaching up on stage and just spouting on all these things and and um, they were rebuking somebody in the church that I was going to who was struggling with sickness and they rebuked him because they didn't have enough faith to get over their sickness. I'm not even kidding. And this person ended up leaving the church completely burned by Christians because they didn't have enough faith to get over their sickness. Come to find out that sick, sickness with some form of cancer that didn't kill them. Um, but can you, I mean, there were people, there were pastors in churches who would say, all right, here's God's blessing for you. You live all you can do. Here's, you, man, God's potential through you. And boom, boom, boom. And those things aren't bad, but listen, if we don't talk about suffering, if we don't separate glory and we don't separate suffering, you know what's gonna happen? We can talk about all the blessings, all the good stuff. And when the storm comes, when the suffering hits, you're left wondering what the heck. Seriously, this is it? Like that Christian, man, once in that storm came in that church and the pastor told them that they were, they were out, they're like, nope. And that's why we study through scripture. You know, I mean, this probably wouldn't be, the, the, I, I wouldn't have necessarily picked this message before a relaunch to give. Like, all right, here we go, guys. Let's, let's ramp this thing up. Like, it's all about Jesus. Like, let's do this. I mean, let's, you know, I probably wouldn't pick this message right away. But because we study through Scripture, we talk about these things that the Bible talks about. This uncut, uncensored, real, this powerful truth that we all need to hear. But I want you guys to see this. This man suffered when he was blind, and this man suffers after he's healed. So he suffered when he was blind. Now, the suffering is different, and he's definitely rejoicing, and there's definitely glory, but there's still suffering that's taking place because as we read in verse 13, these, these, all these people who were there, just floored, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind, now it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Jesus like, Jesus, why do you have to do things on the Sabbath? Can you stop it already? Like you're just poking deeper and deeper into the religious guys. Like, can you just back off a little bit? These things get yourself killed, Jesus. So the Pharisees again asked him, 
How has he received his sight? He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Really? Like this guy just healed a guy who's been blind. You can't get past that miracle. You're more concerned with, oh, it's the Sabbath, than this guy who's been blind for his entire life can see. I mean, Sabbath or being healed from blindness. You, these guys are wicked. But others said, how can this man, second half of verse 16, who is a sinner do such signs? And there is division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents have said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. <laughs> Suffered before he was blind, and now he is getting ready to suffer excommunication from the synagogue. And this guy's out, can't come back, you're not welcome anymore if this is true. God is purposing his glory through this man's suffering. And I love this man's story because what is he? He doesn't excuse himself from suffering, right? It's like, it's just Jesus' fault. I just do what he told me to do. And this guy's like, it's amazing. I, I was blind and now I see. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, I, I, you know, and he could have thrown Jesus under the bus so he could kind of still be cool with Jesus, be cool with the Jews, but he didn't do that, did he? Jesus just did this miracle and this guy's like, still, he's like, I have nothing to hide. What do I have to hide? I was blind, and now I see it. Can't you guys rejoice in this? I mean, you're just going on. and Five things I want you guys to write down, if you're taking notes, to understand about suffering from this man's life. Five things. The first is this. Suffering is not avoidable. This man was blind. Maybe he's thinking, hey, you know what? If I got healed, then I wouldn't suffer anymore. Well, that's not true, right? His suffering is just changing, but he is still suffering because we know that suffering is not avoidable. And you know, some say, hey, listen, the more faith you gain, the more faith you have, the less suffering you will experience. You guys have heard that probably, right? Hey, have more faith, you'll suffer le less. But that's just not true because the most faith-filled people in the Bible are often the ones who suffer the most. Now, of course, that message doesn't typically grow a church or excite people about the gospel, but it's the truth. Listen, you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to face more suffering than you ever have in your entire life. So who wants to give their life to Jesus, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's, not, that's not popular, that's not what you, but that's the truth. And suffering is not 
avoidable. Because a fish that is swimming downstream doesn't face much resistance, does it? Doesn't face any resistance at all. And some will say, no, you, you know, you got to proclaim all of God's promises for you. You proclaim that, bro. You just say it. You name it. You, you got that thing. It's yours. It's yours to have. And you just got to have enough faith and you can move the mountains and, 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 and you can rebuke poverty, hardship, relationship problems. No, you can't. Last time I checked, Jesus was God. And when I look at his life, people didn't like him. In fact, people killed him. I look at Jesus' life. His own family didn't love him. He had family feud and problems, did he not? So what makes us think, if Jesus had family problems, we won't have family problems. If Jesus suffered, we won't suffer. If Jesus was betrayed, we won't betray, be betrayed. Suffering, you guys, suffering is not avoidable. That's why James, the half-brother, I believe, of Jesus who at one point caused suffering on Jesus because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God for, for a while until he walked away from a grave. He said this in James 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So James says, you're, you're going to go through it. You're going to be tested. Suffering will, will bring that. You're, you're going to be tested. And when you are in the moment of suffering, count it all joy. Count the reasons to be joyful. Well, I have this reason to be joyful. I'm, I'm, I have this reason. I have this reason. I have, I have Jesus. That one reason tops all other reasons. Suffering is not avoidable. I really believe that, that, that John wrote this story, a man who would be, go through the worst suffering you and I will ever go through. You guys know the apostle John who wrote this? Um, was boiled alive, church history tells us. Boiled alive, like he did not die. Since he didn't die, they're like, well, we can't kill the guy, so we'll just exile him to an island of Patmos. And it's not like an island like Hawaii. It's not, it's not Hawaii. This is like solitary confinement. Um, I really believe that, that this is a word. So saying, hey, John saying, children, Jesus saying, children, understand, be ready. Us, be, we all need to be ready because suffering is, is, is going to come. It's not avoidable. Second thing is this. Suffering is sometimes caused by our sin. Now, in this story, it's not. In John 9, it's, it's not. Jesus wants to make that distinction clear with his disciples that this is not the result of him, his own sin, or his parents. But what Jesus wasn't saying is that we can do whatever we want without facing any consequences. Right? And Jesus also isn't saying, well, you can't play the victim mentality either. Oh, well, I'm just perfect. You know, Jesus said, I mean, it's not the result of my own sin, so I, 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 I've a scapegoat from this. <laughs> suffering is sometimes often caused by our own sin because every decision that you and I make has good or bad consequences. You make a decision, a good decision, you make a decision to, to stay, to have fidelity in your marriage, you're going to face the consequences 
of other people maybe not wanting to hang out with you. You're going to have to cut off those relationships that you shouldn't. You're going to be facing the consequences of Those are good consequences in the end. The devil will try to make it seem like you're missing out on something. But every decision that we make has good and bad consequences. Um, Suffering is often caused by our own stupidity at times. I know a lot of the things that I went through uh, were due to, to my, my own mistakes. Uh, and that's why Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived on this. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now this isn't karma, okay? Because we all deserve, we've all sown destruction and we reap eternity in hell, but by the grace of God um, and faith in him, we're renewed, and we don't ultimately don't reap what we sow. We have grace and mercy. But, I mean, you know, you go rob a bank, you're going to suffer the consequences behind bars, right? You, you will. Uh, if you show up late from work, you will suffer unemployment. Just the reality, right? It's not, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just Jesus and me. Well, no, that's actually not Jesus and you at all. It's your laziness and my own laziness. Third, this is, this is important. This is the, suffering does not make you more holy. Jesus makes you more holy. But suffering does not make you more holy. And you know what some of us do? And I've seriously done this. I'm not even kidding. After screwing up with a girlfriend in high school, you know what I did? I self-inflicted myself, thinking somehow, all right, if I just hurt myself, if I just do these things, if I self-inflict myself, then the atonement of God will kick in and cover my sin. Suffering does not make you more holy. Jesus makes you more holy. So don't throw yourself into suffering. Please don't do that. It's coming. Don't throw yourself into it. (laughs) Life already has enough trials and hardships. You don't have to inflict yourself because Christ was inflicted for you already on Golgotha. You don't have to. I mean, when I was a student pastor, I mean, I would sit down and counsel students who'd been cutting themselves and bleeding themselves out. And I'd look at them and I'd say, the gospel can free you. Christ has already been bled out for you. You don't have to go cutting yourself. You don't have to have that eating disorder because the gospel sets you free from everything. You don't have to add this extra amount of suffering on your life. And Christians, often we do this, don't we? We just think, I gotta pile this on me and this on me and this on me. Get this really burden, big and heavy. And then I will attain holiness and sanctification. God would rather have your obedience than your sacrifice. We studied this a few weeks ago. You can listen to it um, in iTunes and uh, on our podcast. Um, but we talked about um, how Saul just, he thought he had won the battle, but he didn't finish the war. And he quickly, quickly put his, his, his life into a downward spiral. And, and, and Samuel's like, hey, God told you to kill all, all the animals. Like, why, why didn't you do it? You just kill everything. Annihilate the picture of sin, the Amalekites. And, and so what happens? Um, he doesn't do that. And Samuel's like, yeah, but I saved some of the sins to use it as an offering for you, God. I mean, look how 
good. I am. And, and Samuel said in chapter 15, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Don't save up stuff to bring on more problems, to somehow become more spiritual, to think you will become better. Jesus was inflicted on the cross so you wouldn't have to. Jesus died for your sins so you don't have to put on extra suffering for you. It was all placed upon his shoulders. It's liberating. Number four, suffering is unexplainable at times. Suffering, the suffering that you and I will go through or those we love, at times it is unexplainable. Look at verse 24 and 25. For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give, look at this, give glory to God. And we know that this man is a sinner. So what they're saying is, come on, glorify God. All right, make, sure you, make sure you got your salvation thing worked out and just say that Jesus is a sinner. What, is, what does he say? Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. Couldn't explain it. One thing I do know. I, I was blind, but now I see. You guys deal with it. Pharisees, whatever you're doing, whatever you're little, I, I, I can clearly see that you're scheming. You guys... I, I can see now. It's pretty awesome. And you're worried about the Sabbath? Are you kidding me? And, and I love what Jesus does. And oftentimes, Jesus never duplicates the same miracle twice. He spits in the ground and shoves the spit with the mud in his eyes. It's not the most kosher thing to do, Right? See, we may never understand all of our suffering. Often suffering is unexplainable, but the Bible never tells us to understand what is unexplainable, right? Does the Bible ever call us to understand what is unexplainable? You guys know it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Lean into Jesus when you don't understand the suffering you are going through. In fact, I would say lean on him now. So when the suffering comes, when the storm comes, when the trial hits, you don't have to try to find ways to explain it. You're not leaning on your own understanding, and there are things that we will never understand. You guys, there are things that you will never understand in your life until you're face-to-face -face with Jesus. There are no pat answers for suffering. So don't give them. And the best thing to do for someone who is in suffering is just be there. Be present. And you know, and, you know even doing funerals and, and being a part of that, it's, 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 it's we, you know, one thing, I'm I, reading a book on... Uh, by Warren Wearsby on doing funerals. He said, 
don't, don't give people answers. Give them Jesus. Just give them Jesus. That's what, that's what people want. And the disciples were wanting general answers, weren't they? It's like, well, why did this guy suffer? Give us an answer, Jesus. Just give us an answer. What? Multiple choice, Jesus. Come on. A or B. Can't fail this one. 50-50, right? When in doubt, go with C. But C's not there, so go with B this time. Just pick one. And, 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 and then the Jesus... Jesus' answer is, is, is infused with this idea of, trust me, this is for my glory. Fifth and finally, suffering is on a leash. Suffering is on a leash. And they have leashes for everything these days, right? Um, I mean, they have leashes for cats. Like I was in Petco a month ago or, or two months ago, and there's a leash for a cat. You know, and, and, and some kids need leashes. Um, some kids just, uh, I won't go into it, but it's like, I mean, there are leashes for everything. And, and that, that does not exclude suffering. Suffering is on a leash. Suffering doesn't mean that God has his hands tied. He's like, oh, well, you're going through suffering. So here I am in heaven, ruling and reigning completely in control of everything. You know, it's crazy to think about. Think about this. God is so in control that Psalm, I believe it's 139, tells us that God knit this blind man together in his mother's womb. Couldn't have God just stepped in and just healed him in the womb? And honestly, doesn't that bother you a little bit? It bothers me. It's like, why, God? Why can't, why, why? If he so permits suffering to take place, he is using it for his purpose and his glory. But know this, guys, Satan is on a leash. And God only gives Satan enough slack to hang himself. Isn't that awesome? God's like, yeah, Satan, you're on a leash. Seriously, God has Satan on a leash. All right, you can bring suffering, but it's only enough to hang himself. It's only enough to hang himself. Because God will take, and you have noticed this, the most disgraceful things and use them for his glory. Isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? For God works together all things for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. All things. Everything. All suffering. Everything bad. Everything wicked. He uses it for his purposes and for his glory. And for the believer, all suffering has been given. You guys, there is purpose in your suffering. It's not pointless. For the, for the non-Christian, it's pointless. There's no point to it. There's no hope in it. In Job's life, I mean, after unfathomable suffering and after losing so much, when God, on a leash, allowed Satan to cause horrific suffering on Job's life, what did he want to do? He wanted to make, Satan wanted to make a bad spectacle of God and make Joseph deny God, right? But Satan is on a leash. And as he's bringing all this suffering, this suffering, this suffering, he ends up hanging on his own leash. Why? Because in the end, God was glorified and Job was sanctified. God brings suffering in your life so that he would be glorified and you would be sanctified. And when I sanctify, when I say sanctified, that means, it's a biblical term, means to be set apart, to be different, to be 
in this world, but not to be of this world. To be living in culture, but shining the light of Christ in, dar- in the darkness and not indulging in darkness. So in suffering, God gets glorified and you get sanctified. We're going way long. Verse 26 here. Honestly, like John 8 and 9, and we, could have, we could have done a whole like three-year series on, on, on just those. I mean, it's so deep and amazing. Uh, verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You also want to become one of his disciples? He's like poking at him now. Oh, yeah, you, you can't get enough of his miracles, can you? You want to become one of his guys too? And they reviled him, more suffering, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened their eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I love it. He's just preaching a sermon all up in their grill. In verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin. And you would teach us? And they cast him out. Can't go to church anymore, right? I love this because though this is speaking of a physical disability, we are all born with the spiritual disability of blindness. You and I were born into blindness. We're born blind to the things of God. And these religious men, you can see, aren't they blind to what's going on here? They're completely blind. Their eyes are not open. They do not see. And they were accusing this man. You know what they're saying? You're a sinner. Basically what they're saying is, you might as well go back and be blind because you're worse off now than you were before. At least you could, you know, sit out in front of the temple and beg now. But now you can't even get near the temple. You can't even get near the synagogue. Forget you. You're, You're out of here. We want nothing to do with you. And they cast him out. How sad is that? But it doesn't end that way, does it? Jesus heard in verse 35 that they had cast him out. And having found him, I love this. This man isn't even in pursuit of Jesus at this point, but Jesus is in pursuit of this man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe? Jesus answered, you have seen him, and it is I who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into, the, into this world, that those who would not see my face, and those who see may, beca- may become blind. And some of the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. 
But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Only those who have been healed from spiritual blindness can see Jesus. In verse 3, I love it. The only qualification for this man to be healed was his own blindness. The only qualification for those who are in darkness, for those who are in blindness, for those who are in bondage is to see Jesus and to be set free by Jesus. And I'm saying that even for the Christian who is stuck in a sin. If you are stuck in habitual sin right now, see Jesus and he will set you free. He will. He will do it. The gospel sets you free from everything. And I love, what, what is the response of this man? He, his eyes are opened. He believes that Jesus is God and he worships him. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. And the Pharisees are there. And they're looking. And they're saying, so are we blind too? Jesus is like, but you're saying you can see, but you actually can't. Self-righteousness that was the blinders on their eyes that had been put there, that they couldn't even see Jesus clearly. And for all of us, I pray that as we move forward and launch, whenever you start, whenever you launch, whenever you begin a new endeavor in your own personal walk with God and us as a church, the moment you begin to do something You begin to take ground for the glory of God. The gospel is advanced. You know what comes next? Opposition. Suffering comes next. And in the midst of suffering, build your life on the cornerstone of Christ so that no matter what storm comes, no matter what comes your way, you have developed a healthy theology and you let this truth of what Jesus said saturate in your soul. And pray, and I pray that we would all see Jesus more clearly. That's what we need. We don't need more rules. You don't need me to sit here and say, hey, you know what? Here's a list of the movies I don't endorse that you should, shouldn't go see. Here are the restaurants that we are going to ban from all Christians going to and calling because they support. We're not. It's Jesus. We need to see Jesus. And pray that Jesus would open your eyes to see him more clearly, just like this blind man. God, thank you for this time that we've had to spend in your word. It's so exciting to see how you are going to build your church as we see you and your hand moving in all this. And you are so faithful, God not because of our own righteousness, but because of your righteousness. And so Holy Spirit, would you begin to do a work in revealing the things in our lives that are blocking us from seeing you more clearly. We ask that you don't remove our suffering, but that in the midst of our suffering, we would shine your light brightly. Because the world is looking on us as Christians, hoping that our foundation that we claim is you is strong. So I pray that you would help us to see you clearly. 
And God, even as we move into this time now of communion, as we partake of the body that was broken for us and the blood that you poured out to cleanse us from sin, I pray that as we partake of these elements, that we look to them, to you, because they all point of you. And you told us, Jesus, that as often as we do this, do it in remembrance of you. So God, as we begin to continue in worship, like this blind man whose eyes had been opened and he worshiped you and he became saved and he was your disciple, I pray that we would worship with that passion and with that intensity, not just tonight, but with our whole life. So we move into a time of communion, God. I pray that we would see you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.